Attention, attention all personnel. It's MASHCAST. Hello and welcome to MASHCAST, the show that analyzes and celebrates episode by episode the greatest TV series of all time, MASH, which aired on CBS from 1972 to 1983. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, General Robert Iron Guts Kelly. And joining us this week in the VIP tent for the final episode of Season 5 of MASH is Brigadier General Scott X. Hi, Scott. Hey, Rob. It's good to be back with you. You know, I just got back from Iowa. I was at the wedding of a buddy of mine, a buddy Ernie, and it was a great wedding. And, you know, the only thing was his nephew um, threw up all over the flower girl. But <laughs> I made it back okay, and I'm happy to be here in the VIP tent. Although when I got back, I noticed someone took my scotch and fig newtons. So I'm going to have to do tonight's episode sober and hungry. So whatever happens after this, all bets are off. I, I appreciate your sacrifice. So, yes, of course, Scott has been the final guest in each season for the last couple of seasons. Uh, when I was, you know, planning out season five, I, I was like, Scott, you have to be the final guest for season five. It's, it's a, it's a huge episode, uh, in terms of the events. And of course, it is the final appearance, uh, makes me sad of Larry Linville as Frank Burns. Big moment for the show. I mean, uh, the, you know, when the show comes back in season six, it would become a very, very different show. But this is really the end of a very particular era of MASH. It is the end of what I say often is my favorite era of MASH, the BJ Potter, Frank Burns years. This is it. This is the last one. And I got to say, I'm a little sad. I'm a little sad about it because I love these shows so much. I'm a little, I'm a little forlorn that we're not going to get to talk about this particular era of MASH anymore. Well, you know, it's interesting too, and I appreciate the fact also that you that you mentioned the absence of Larry Linville as Frank Burns. You know, Frank Burns was a character that people loved to hate. The character. But by all accounts, Larry Linville was a beloved actor and, and I'm sure he himself was missed both to us externally and to them internally. Absolutely. I mean, Frank Burns as a character would be mentioned across the seasons sure. uh, i mean they actually don't and we'll get into it obviously but yeah. i mean his storyline actually doesn't get wrapped up here it gets wrapped up in the first episode of season six but he would occasionally be mentioned across the the, the show's remaining seasons uh in fact uh there is one last joke at frank burns expense at the uh the button scene on uh in the as time goes by episode which was as everybody knows the final episode ever recorded from Ash. Uh, so, I mean, he would occasionally be mentioned across the show. He would, the ghost of Frank Burns would kind of linger <laughs> over the show here and there. But yes, I'm sure they missed Larry Linville because, as you said, he was a beloved figure, part of the, part of the family. They loved him and I'm sure he was missed. And, but, you know, everything that I've read always said too that Larry Linville himself was a 180 degree turn from the character he played I and, hope and so. how, and how that, yeah, yeah. And how that was also a testament to his acting ability. You know, sometimes as character actors, or I, I hesitate, he was a, a main character here, but he was also a secondary character in a way. Yeah. He was not the main ones. But but it really was a testament to his acting skill that he was able to pull that character off the way he did. Absolutely. It's a high wire act. It's yes. absolutely a high wire act. And he he uh, nailed it. He nailed it. And especially this episode. I think there's some great moments here for Frank Burns. But again, we'll we'll, we'll get to all that. So, all right, let's talk about it. As I said, it's uh, episode 24 of season five, Margaret's Marriage. The original air date was March 15th, 1977, written by Everett Greenbaum and Jim Fritzell. I noticed that this is this is, I believe, the sole credit by these two where their names are flipped. 
The other episodes, huh. it's Jim Fritzell and Ever Greenbaum. This one is Ever Greenbaum and Jim Fritzell. Go Everett. You know, I don't know. Maybe he wrote more of this one and Jim was like, all right, I, you know, go ahead, Everett. Take, take the, take the credit. I, it's very strange. Uh, and directed by Gene Reynolds. So the plot is after Margaret's not yet scheduled marriage becomes the topic of discussion in the OR, Margaret gets frustrated and calls Donald Penobscot demanding to set the date. Penobscot surprisingly agrees and says he is on the way on his way to the 477th. Margaret is thrilled. Frank is worried. A day later, Penobscot, played by Beast and Carol, arrives and announces that they want to get married as soon as possible. Frank walks in, and when he takes one look at the tall, strapping Penobscot, he runs in the other direction. Penobscot gives chase, eventually pinning Frank to the compound. In the middle of kicking and screaming, Penobscot surprises everyone by thanking Frank for inspiring Margaret to finally ask about getting married, and he wants Frank to be the best man. The nurses throw Margaret a shower, and at the bachelor party, everyone gets hammered, even Father Mulcahy and Radar. When Penobscot passes out on BJ's bunk, BJ gets a devilish idea. He suggests he and Hawkeye put Penobscot in a full body cast and tell him that he broke his leg overnight. Hawkeye says, that's cruel. That's vicious. BJ agrees. I know. It's perfect. The next morning, Penobscot waits at the altar in the mess tent in, yes, a full body cast. Margaret looks beautiful in a white wedding gown given to her by Klinger. The ceremony starts off fine, but it has to be rushed to its conclusion when wounded arrive. Margaret does triage in her dress and then assists Colonel Potter in OR, who comments, this is a hell of a wedding for you, kid. Penobscot asks to watch his wife at work, so he's propped up at Father Mulcahy so he can see. But even though he's a self-described combat veteran, he gets sick when he sees a patient spurt blood all over BJ during an operation and asks to leave. After surgery is over, everyone gathers on the chopper pad to see Margaret and Penobscot off. After the rotors start whirring, Hawkeye and BJ admit the whole breaking a leg thing was a joke, but Margaret can't hear what they're saying. They decide to call her in Tokyo and tell her the truth so as not to ruin their honeymoon. Everyone wanders off, except for Frank, who watches Margaret's chopper fly away. All by himself, he says, to no one in particular, a quiet, bye, Margaret. And that is Margaret's marriage and the end of the Frank Burns era of MASH. So, okay, overall impressions of this episode, Scott. I found it, it's always sort of in retrospect, you look at it differently. And I I always felt like for Frank Burns' last episode, I would have liked to have seen more in some way as a goodbye to Frank. But that being said, I don't know, you know, I I know that that Larry Linville had decided not to come back. He he had his five-year contract had ended. He was offered a two-year extension and declined. I don't know when that happened. Hmm. And maybe, Rob, you do. I don't know. No, I don't. I but no, I don't know that. But I, but I was curious to know if when they were writing that episode, they knew it was Frank's last episode, you know, that, that Frank would appear in or not. Because I think that might have changed the tenor of it a little bit as well. Um, I also, there was parts of it that I, that, how do I say this? I think when, when we look at the two primary characters in this episode, if we want to call them that, are Margaret and Frank. And when I look at this, the, this is very representative of, Margaret's evolution as a character and Frank's um, non-evolution as a character <laughs> in, in the sense that Margaret was at this point looking to change the status quo. She'd been in the status quo. We, we talked about this, I think probably in season one, how Margaret was always sort of this character who was upwardly mobile. We called her with the, the ranking officers. And now she's decided she wants to settle down. Whereas she wants to change the status quo. Well, Frank, just wants the status quo to remain. 
he's the happily married man, <laughs> but he still has this thing for Margaret and wants that to continue. Um, so I, I found it to be an interesting episode in that, in that way too. And we get to see a little bit of Margaret characterization. Margaret, after she's gets married, she's in the wedding dress and she's immediately out. She's still the nurse. Right. So she's still the Margaret we know, but she's evolving. So overall, I think this was a good this was a good um, jumping off point for the Margaret that we would know and who evolves down the road and and probably an appropriate goodbye for Frank because the status quo did not change in that sense. But I would have liked to have seen a little bit a different sort of goodbye to Frank, I think. okay, what that Uh, would be, I, I, I don't know. Right. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Then you write it, Scott. Yes, <laughs> you write I, 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 that's exactly right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, by the way, I don't mean to uh, underscore uh, another change that uh, the show was dealt after this. Gene Reynolds. This is Gene Reynolds' final episode as the show's producer. Uh, he would, I think he, you know, I think like him and Gelbard probably never fully left the show in some respect. I would imagine they probably, you know, occasionally suggest things here and there because it was their baby. But this was Gene Reynolds's last episode as a sort of hands-on day-to-day producer. And after this, uh, he and, would and be... his director, he was the director of this episode, and, too, right, as, as you mentioned director. earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he would be replaced uh, by the, unfortunately, now late Burt Metcalf, of course, who just mm-hmm. passed away recently. Uh, but, but he, Bert Metcalf was on the show before, but now he got promoted to executive producer, but this is it. This is the last episode for Gene Reynolds. So again, this show is undergoing, is going to be undergoing a sea change, uh, in between, uh, seasons five and six. And there is a very particular moment in this episode. And we'll get to it when we get to it. Uh, that is, I, I, you know what? Well, I don't even want to preview it because I want to spoil it. We'll get to Go. it. We get to it. So, um, <laughs> yeah, there's, so there's the scene in OR and, uh, again, Margaret's marriage or not or non, uh, yet marriage is the topic of conversation. There's a reference to Alice B. Toklas, which was a reference that as a kid, I had no idea what they were talking about. And of course, they're, they're, you know, they're referencing that, uh, Alice B. Toklas was a, uh, famous, lesbian i guess there's no the you know better way of putting it at a time when that was not something that uh people could be openly but i never knew who alice b Toklas was so i didn't get the joke i never got the joke and then i remember years later i worked at movies unlimited and we had the peter sellers movie i love you alice b Toklas. and i remembered seeing that title and i went oh okay that alice was b. from Tuk- mash that's from mash <laughs> alice b Toklas. and now the movie itself doesn't really from what I recall, it doesn't really give you any information because it's not about Alice B. Toklas. Right. At the very least, I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> that's a thing. All right, I understand what's going on. And this whole conversation, again, leads Margaret to finally uh, place the phone call to to uh, Donald Penobscot. Frank shows up. There's a great bit of physical comedy in Raider's office where she is talking to Donald and getting him to, to agree to come. And Frank comes and he wants to just listen in on the phone call. But, of course, he has to come up with a, a BS excuse. And he says to Radar, do you have those papers I'm looking for? And <laughs> Radar's like, what papers? He's like, the papers. And he starts scrunching Radar's report. And you can even see that, like, there's carbon paper there. And so, obviously, this report that with Radar's ancient typewriter probably took him, a, you know, a full <laughs> day to do. And Frank is just destroying it. And during all this, Radar's like, oh, you just oh, <laughs> doing all this fumfering and stuff. And it's a great bit of physical comedy. Well, and that, that whole, those whole two first scenes were so interesting with Frank too, because he was obviously just trying to get Margaret's goat. Yep. Yep. 
by telling, well, she's not going to marry you. He's not going to marry you. I'm not jealous. I'm a happily married man. And then as she's on the phone with Donald, he he's basically the first few lines. He's saying it. Margaret repeats it. Yeah. Right <laughs> on the phone. So, and so again, it, was funny, it was funny. Time, time and then at the, the end, he agrees to marry her. And then Frank is devastated yeah. <laughs> and angry. And he, he was the one that drove her to it by trying to get her goat. She went, did it. And then he's, then like you said, he's upset and, and again, Larry Linville's his facial expressions with it are great too. As he's doing that crumpling and how his face, he kind of turns his head and he looks like, wait a minute, she's doing it. And he's, he said yes, you know. So it, it really was good. And, and like you said, uh, radar was great too. Just kind of looking, uh, yeah, uh, uh, trying to get a word in edgewise, which he could not do. Sir, you're scrunching, you're scrunching. Yeah, and, yeah. He, and he's slowly trying to, trying to pull the carbon paper out from, uh, Burns' yeah, fingers. And yeah, of course, from it's not working. Of his fingers. Trying to pry it out. <laughs> yeah, it's making it worse. And then there's a great button to the scene where Frank runs into Potter's office and, and Potter is busy working on something. And, uh, Burns goes, Sir, can I have a two week furlough? And Potter, not even looking up, just goes, No. No. And, and Frank's like, Oh, golly. <laughs> it's great that Potter, it does not even. Yeah. It doesn't even give him uh, even the the gesture of respect to look at him and say no. It's just yeah. no. <laughs> yeah, or or much, much less ask him what he wants to furlough for. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's just no. No, like, who God only knows what he's going off on now. What kind of weird <laughs> trouble? A, who's who's making him feel bad or making fun of him this time or whatever? Yeah, it's great. It's a great bit of physical comedy. So uh, then we're out on the compound and everyone is playing a game of basketball. We see that at one point. Colonel Potter gets so wrapped up in the game that he actually almost like karate chops uh, Mulcahy in the shoulder and uh, Radar calls a foul. And then Potter uses his authority to lean on Radar and Radar's like, no foul. And it's, you know, it's a gag. But at the same time, we've saw we've seen in previous episodes uh, like the ping pong one that Potter is competitive. Yes. Potter, Potter is yep. a little competitive. So I had the same nice thing in my of, notes. Yeah. He is competitive. Yeah. It's a nice little bit of character. He, even a silly basketball game. Yeah. And then they, and they were going through the jump ball. And you know, of course the, the camera is set on, on the characters kind of waist up from to, to get ready for this jump ball. And, uh, father Mulcahy, he looks at Colonel Potter and says, you're stepping on my foot. <laughs> so he was trying to cheat in the jump ball too. We can't see it on camera. And Colonel Potter says, Oh, Father, this is just a friendly game. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's really way too into it. And then we get our arrival of Donald Penobscot. We finally see Donald Penobscot. As I mentioned, he's played by actor Beeson Carroll. He passed away in 2018. He had a uh, you know pretty decent movie and TV career. He was in movies like ben- the Bananas, the Woody Allen film, Rounders, the Matt Damon movie, The Dane Curse, and Midway. Um, you know, and he was on a lot of TV. And they did a really good job of casting someone that I thought is completely believable that Margaret would fall in love with because he is a tall guy. He's about uh, Mike Farrell's height. So he's a tall strapping guy and he's a little older. He's like a lit, you know, he's not Margaret's age. He's probably a good, maybe 10 years older than Margaret. So he's got that slight kind of, you know, dad figure a little that I think Margaret's got. And he looks like uh, he kind of walked out of central casting. I mean, and probably if they had made these kinds of movies earlier, he would have been like Captain America or something. He just has that look. And so however they found Beast and Carol, uh, they did a great job because after hearing for an entire season about this guy, Margaret will not shut up about her tin soldier, as Hawkeye refers to him. I totally buy this. I'm like, yeah, I that's who Margaret would fall in love with. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think, and I think he did a great job in that role. You know, he, he, he played it right. You know, all the yep. things that, that he had, the, you also should mention he had the Lieutenant Colonel rank too. So right. there was also that rank thing that Margaret always, of seemed, course, always right. seemed to like as well. But, but again, they, they, they played it well. And I felt like they had um, the appropriate chemistry too on screen as well for, totally. for, and he, he, the way that he was written in this episode and how they interacted, I think, was right on. And again, you, um, Loretta Swit just played it so right. She had a constant smile on her face the entire episode. Yeah. Oh my god! Uh, I mean, she's because again, to see him. yeah, and right, exactly. And from the actor standpoint, that I don't know if that was something she, she just she did that and it conveyed without having to say it how much she really did feel for Donald. Completely. Completely. Yeah. I mean, she's again, she's been bragging about him all season and we're all sick of hearing about it, but it, uh, but you, it's also, it's also genuine. Like she genuinely does love this guy as far as she, you know, kind of can in this moment of someone right. she's probably only really met once or twice. Uh, yeah. and then the rest of it's been from afar. But yeah, I, they just said, I, Beast and Carol, he looks like what I would have imagined Donald Penobscot to looking had I not seen him. Uh, you know, had been watching these in order at the time and I just never right. known what he looked like. So he gets introduced to everybody, uh, the regulars and the one extra is, uh, Lieutenant Peters, which is the nurse playing, uh, the basketball. She is played by Mary Peters. So they didn't even bother to give her another name. They just named her Peters. She was in movies like Evil Knievel and American Hot Wax. This is her third of three appearances on MASH. And then she moved into a stunt career. Which seems kind of unusual. And she, as a stunt woman, she has had quite a career. She has done stunts on Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan, mm. Stripes, Lethal Weapon, and Alien Resurrection. So, uh, wow. You know, I so, mean, so playing basketball was nothing. very much beneath her. Yeah. <laughs> at this, this point, piece probably. of cake. Uh, and no slight to, uh, to Mary Peters, but when every time they have a nurse show up that we really have kind of never seen before, or barely seen, and we will not see again. Why isn't it Nurse Kelly? Why? Why isn't it Nurse Kelly? It should always be Nurse Kelly. If you're, if it's a one-off nurse, yeah. get Kelly Nakahara. I never understand why it's, you know, Nurse Terwilliger. You know, like, yeah. never know why yeah. they do that. So I guess it's whoever they can pull from the extras I guess, room at but, that moment. Maybe but I, I don't thought know. that was Kelly Nakahara's point. You know, yeah. it was like that she was yeah. always kind of there. To yeah. be the recurring nurse. And, and, and again, to have know? a thread, the common thread, thread throughout. That would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's very strange. So Margaret and uh, Donald start walking the compound together. Hawkeye and BJ provide a sort of mystery science theater-esque running commentary uh, where they start imagining what they're saying to each other. And Hawkeye has the great line. He says, you know, Donald, uh, you know, I'll always love you uh, no matter what your rank, as long as it's lieutenant colonel or better. Which feels pretty, pretty accurate, I think, to Margaret's point of view. I mean, she literally has the line in Margaret's engagement: "I could never someone, I could never love someone who didn't outrank me." So, <laughs> and I liked how he said too. I, I think it was, it was like, "Kiss me, you fool!" And then, and then they're kissing. Yeah. And they said, "How did you know that he was going to say that?" I could see your pucker. Yeah. He <laughs> <laughs> was like, they were, they were following along. They were, it was, it was funny to to watch just sort of that putting the words in their mouths. And BJ, uh, excuse me, uh, Radar is there massaging his basketball, kind yeah. of generally stroking it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and Hawkeye has the great line of it. Come on, Radar, you'll just irritate your glands, which is a great, <laughs> great bit. So now we're back in the mess tent and uh, Margaret and Donald Penobscot 
announced that they are getting married. And there's this bit about the, you know, Raider talks about all the forms that got to be filled out. And of course, it's like a this stroke seven stroke J and it's a din triplicate and, you know, getting married in a combat zone and all this stuff. And it's that stuff's probably all made up, but it it almost sounds just plausible enough that well, I, maybe it's real. I love it too because it tells you actually how good of a clerk radar is. Radar, what forms do we need? He starts he knows listing, he no. starts listing things off, which I which I always laugh. At. Whether he like you said, even in character, whether he was making them up or not, it sure sounded good. Like he knew exactly what forms there had to be, and then I like how he delegated that to Klinger. Too. Yeah, you take care of that. Oh, my first command. <laughs> Hands in the basketball. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Klinger wants to be helpful. Uh, so then Burns shows up. And uh, Panopticon says, you know, Frank Burns? And he's like, yes, sir. And then he looks and notices who just said it. No, sir. <laughs> Which is good. <laughs> Frank's is such a coward. And uh, I absolutely love Beast and Carol's line read where they turn the camera towards him as if Frank Burns is looking at him. And he goes and he points at Burns. Uh. So he's pointing into the camera. and He goes, you're the man I want to see. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, obviously, anybody would be intimidated by that because the way that Penobscot uh. says it, it sounds threatening. So you can't blame him. Now, of course, Penobscot isn't trying to be threatening, but it's a very macho man line read. Yeah. It's it's, well, goes, You're the man I want to see. It's a military commander line right yes, there. Completely. It's Lieutenant Colonel speaking to a subordinate officer. That's exactly completely, right. Completely. So then he finally corners Burns, uh, gets him down on the compound and, you know, Frank says, don't believe uh, what you've been told. We made little Christmas cookies and all this. You know, everything was just purely. I never touched the girl. And, uh, of course, I like that uh, Penobscot finally gets irritated where he just finally yells, Major Burns! <laughs> just at ease. <laughs> he gets so frustrated. Burns being such a such a friggin' ninny. <laughs> it's great. And, and I like I liked how, how, how uh, Donald sort of had him pinned on the ground. And Frank's laying there with his arms above his head, like he's like a little baby, like yeah. you know, <laughs> doing a tantrum with his arms above his head. And then, like he says, "At ease," and Frank just stopped moving, but his yeah. arms stay above his head, and his head <laughs> kind of turns. Just kind of a, it was just sort of a weird, weird he, like, position. But it was up, funny. Like he's ready to be hit. Yeah, you know? and he kind of closed his eyes and. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Uh... So uh, then, uh, radar. There's a scene in Potter's office where. Radar shows up and tells them about that they're planning a smoker, which is again as a bachelor party. They go over the details of that stuff. Radar talks about uh, throwing up on uh, on his <laughs> on his cousin at the one wedding he's been to before. Michael Ernie, yeah, yeah. Now Radar has clearly been to other weddings. Yeah. I mean, good lord, he you know there there've been weddings at the four seven seven. So what's yeah. he talking about? But that's fine. Um, so then that's the act break, and then we open up in the messes uh, the um, nurses tent, which Nurse Kelly is at. So again, she was there. She yeah. was there. He could have. She was available. It. She was available. Uh, and maybe all... she just wasn't. Maybe she just wasn't a good enough basketball player to compete with the uh, the obviously highly athletic rest of the four hundred seven seventh. Maybe playing, so. Playing She's basketball. very short. Maybe that had something to do with yeah. it. But uh... or or they or yeah or since we know that that the the other uh, nurse was very very strong physically. Um, she had to ha be able to handle Colonel Potter's competitiveness, apparently, too. There you so go. in case exactly. he gave her a karate chop or something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so uh, Klinger arrives with an incredible gift, a wedding gown. And not mm -hmm. even just like a wedding gown, some sort of patchwork thing they threw together. Like a genuine 
wedding yeah. gown. And you kind of wonder, like, where the hell did he? Now he talks about that he got it from his from a from a relative who used it to get out of the service, of course, which means this is a Klinger family tradition. But I mean, <laughs> that is a hell of a gift for Klinger to give Margaret, considering they're not particularly close. Well, and I liked it too, how like Margaret was upset when he first came in. Of course, he's dressed up like a woman. He comes in. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm late. You know, I had to iron this or whatever. And then she opened it and it was like a total change. Yeah. Like, oh, Klinger. You know, like, like it, it, like you said, it really was a very nice wedding gown. And then even after they sort of left the tent, Margaret just stood there looking at the dress. Like, wow. You know, we're getting married on this short notice. I would have never expected to have a dress much less as a gift from Klinger and a beautiful dress. And I'm sure for Margaret, that was also a a, a big deal as part of, you know, what, what she would have envisioned as having as a wedding, probably from a little girl on. Oh, absolutely. And there's a great little bit of, um, uh, uh, what's the like sound work? Uh, forgive me that uh, clumsy phrase, but, um, that, that scene that you just mentioned where Margaret is looking stunned at the dress, Mm -hmm. they overlap, some of the audio from the next scene, which is the bachelor party. Right. Uh, that comes in over Margaret's face. Yeah. Even though we don't see it. And I, that's a nice little touch. It's a, you know, they wouldn't have to do, they could have just cut and it would have right. been fine, but I like that overlap. That, okay. This is what Margaret's doing as her preparation for the wedding. And now we're going to hear what the guys are doing. It's just a nice little filmmaking detail from either yep. the editor or director, Gene Reynolds. Just a nice transition into yeah. what's going on in this tent. And what's going on in that tent over right. there. Yeah. So we uh, then we see the smoker going on at uh, in the in the swamp, and we see that Colonel Penobscot is a good guy. He's yeah. funny. He can hang with the guys. He can joke. He talks about the uh, you know he mentions uh, Klinger. Do you realize the one with the big nose is wearing a dress? And Hawkeye says you shouldn't be looking around. You're getting married. <laughs> and then they talk about water polo, and you know he's like. Uh, I, my Hawkeye says, I used to play a water polo, but uh, my horse drowned. And, <laughs> yeah. and then Penobscot does a yes and kind of like, you know, he says, well, he should have kept his head up. Kept so, his head up. And they love okay. that. They learned yeah. laughing because he, he could kind of be witty right back with them at their, their sort of turns of phrase that they always had those witticisms. Quick wit. Absolutely. Yeah. I like it. He's one of the, he's one of the fellas. And, uh, Frank, who is partly drunk, gets frustrated and he yells, stop laughing without me. Which, yeah, yeah. uh, I feel, and it's, it's, and it's sort of a crybaby tone too, like, quit, oh, it, quit laughing without me. <laughs> I, I, I feel like there's an entire strata of political thought in this country that can be summed up with that line of <laughs> stop laughing without me. I think that's kind of what is going on with a lot of people and they're mad about it. And, uh, because Frank feels left out, he doesn't get the, he doesn't really follow the joke he doesn't really he's not really paying attention to what's going on he's got a great bit with the where he's obviously drunk where he says you know why why do you think you deserve such a fine upstanding woman as major hula hand and it's just that little pause <laughs> and they all laugh again laugh. Yeah. yeah yeah exactly um father mckay he talks about that he has been to a um a previous smoker where he says it's yeah. very exciting a nun jumped out of an angel food cake <laughs> what, what the hell kind of bachelor party was that? I, I don't know, and I'm not. I, I was just. I'm not sure if it was a real nun. <laughs> I, I don't know what the, the smoker was, but I laughed at that line. It just made me laugh. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like what? I mean, I get. Yeah, I guess I hope it wasn't a real nun, but then it's like the, I guess that's a joke. And, well, and again, know. then you start thinking, well, who's getting married? You know, he's a Catholic priest. Yeah, I mean, right. Yeah, I mean, is he? Yeah, I, I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, a couple of them leave. 
Penobscot falls on because he's completely drunk. He lands on BJ, and I love that BJ goes, he weighs a ton. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, of Penobscot's this big strapping guy. He probably he's probably like 6'4, 230. You know, he's like a big dude. I like as, that. As soon as I saw that too, I wondered if that was an ad lib. You know, like, oh my God, this guy's <laughs> so you know, he's supposed to catch him and lay him over there, and they're supposed to have their witty. And it made me wonder if that was a, an ad lib or not, but it was funny either way. Oh, it feels very genuine because it said he's laying right on, yeah, exactly, uh, right on BJ, and so then he's passed out in BJ's bunk, and they decide what to do with him. And he says, you know, BJ first says, "Let's slip him in bed with Nurse Carson," and Hawkeye's retort is, "No, no, no, slip me in bed with Nurse Carson." So okay, <laughs> and then we see that BJ is the one who comes up with the gag, and that's been again a repeated bit throughout the BJ years is that Hawkeye is, of course, a practical joker, so was Trapper. And they would play up this in a in one of my favorite episodes from season eleven, The Joker is Wild, that even by Hawkeye standards, BJ's practical joking is like next level. Yeah. You know, he will be more vicious, more dastardly than even Hawkeye is willing to go. And I like that that is something that they have talked about. I mean, they mentioned it in the Dear Sigmund episode where, where Sigmund is like, I can't, the one guy I can't figure out around this place is BJ Honeycutt. Yep. How is he possibly so normal? And it's, we find out, well, it's because his outlet is practical joking. Is that. Yep. So there you go. So yep. I, I love that he's the one who comes up with it. That's just a great, and it is a vicious gag. I mean, it is just to, to mess with someone the night before their wedding. Well, and it's so creative cool. in its it own is, way, yeah. creative within within the scope of, man, we can really do this, too. We're at a MASH unit. I couldn't come up with this out on the front line, but in a MASH unit? Yeah, this can work. Yeah. Uh, for those of you listening to this episode the day it comes out, uh, I will be getting married in just a couple of days, so <laughs> I am not planning on getting drunk and having anybody do this to me the night before. I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay, uh, stay sober, everybody. Although, although if that were to happen, Rob, you'd probably be like more like Raider was at the smoker. I- I'm gonna go out and get sick. I, and yes. Potter, Potter says somebody give him a hand, and everybody, yeah, gives him, a, yeah, gives him, gives him a clap. <laughs> Which yeah, made me laugh. The oldest joke in the book, but I sat there and laughed at it. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a lightweight when it comes to drinking. Two, two drinks, and I'm kind of out. So. Uh, I would never get that that level of hammered, but uh, so uh, and then at the uh, at the uh, the mess tent, we see the wedding is is happening. We see Penobscot is in a full body cast, so that leaves at him. Least, it's at least a waist down cat, chest down. It's cat. like mid chest, yeah, yeah. yeah his arms right, aren't yes. really in there. No, that's right, but. that's right. It's not like it's over his head or stuff, but it's yeah. it's more than just a leg cast. Yes, it's all the way up into his rib cage, which yep. of course and, is and, going and to both legs. Yeah, yeah, and both legs, which obviously you get is which uh, you know makes uh, ensures that he can only sort of wobble. Yeah. Kind of back and forth. Not to mention the implications for a potential honeymoon. Obviously, <laughs> which is going to lead to another <laughs> great line in this episode. Yeah. So um, Potter uh, is uh, playing father of the bride. He brings Margaret down the line. There's a great bit with Hawkeye and BJ where they whisper, Potter looks so, BJ says, Potter looks so dignified. And Hawkeye says that's because he's got a hangover that would kill yeah. his horse, which is a great. <laughs> I got I to I interject here, too. It, it makes me laugh. Um Father Mulcahy's doing the ceremony, of course. He's the only minister there. But earlier on, um, Donald asked Father Mulcahy, Father, do you do Methodist? Piece of cake. Piece of cake. <laughs> so it's sort of like whatever denomination, whatever, we're in a, we're in a war, whatever. We'll do yeah. it. No worries. He can handle it. He can transpose. Yeah, you know? he'll, he'll figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. Radar is playing the song. He goes a little overboard. Uh, we see that he's playing like you know way more bars of the song that I've ever heard. 
I, you know, I, kept, you... I kept waiting for him to go into that that tune from the Ghost and Mister Chicken because when, when he started going too far there, that dun, 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 dun. <laughs> which of course was also written by Jim Fritzell and Everett Greenbaum. Yes, absolutely so, right. <laughs> there you go. So uh, the the wedding uh, continues. There's a bit where, of course, they hear choppers coming, and they, everyone starts rushing out, and only the core people are are there. And there's the whole bit about uh, if anyone objects, speak now. Whoever hold their peace, everybody turns to look at Frank, and Frank says, "I have nothing to say." And uh, then they, you know, pot, again, Potter's like, "Keep it moving, Father," and they rush through it, and we can see, we see everybody is leaving one at a time. And then finally, they pronounce Margaret and Donald husband and wife. And Margaret gives Penobscot a quick peck on the uh, lips and then runs off. And then we see uh, Penobscot there in a single in front of the altar. And he's a little wobbly. And he just, hey, and he's like, don't leave. And then he just completely falls over. And it's kind of funny. The sound effects editor interjects when he hits the ground. You don't see him hit the ground. He just falls out of frame. You hear like a crack sound. Yeah. Which I always thought they were trying to suggest that he actually did break something. I thought point. the same thing when I yeah. watched it. Like, did he really end up breaking something? Though? Yeah. <laughs> that was <laughs> same, exactly the same thing yeah. I thought. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, that's a fun little, you're like, you know, like, oh, geez, he probably did broke his leg. <laughs> so, um, we see Margaret in, uh, in the, the compound and she is taking care of every, she's, uh, addressing the wounded in her wedding dress. Now, in real life, you would not do this. You you could take twenty a, a minute to run into your tent, pull your wedding dress off, and put your fatigues on. You know, the, the, she isn't. There's other people that could handle this for the minute it's going to take her to go. Yeah. But it makes for a nice image of this woman. Even her, even something as sacred as a marriage, a wedding ceremony, is is not safe to the whims of the war. So, right, exactly. as a visual, it works. Yeah, it, it, it was that was a metaphor for that. It was the yeah. importance of the war above all else. Yeah, then and there. Yeah, in that moment to those people. Yeah. So uh, they're busy operating, and we see that uh, Mother Father Mulcahy and Radar wheel penobscot on like a handcart which is great yeah yeah i um, love that too yeah uh <laughs> that was the kind of thing i used to uh to load my uh, my 500 pound pinball machine into the house uh they're very handy and congratulations uh, on that by the thank, way thank you very much it's probably, <laughs> i think penobscot probably weighs slightly less than the than the uh, pinball machine and uh, of course at this moment we see that there is a particularly ghoulish uh and kind of grand guignol sort of operation where there is some sort of arterial pumper and it sprays blood across BJ's face in this giant red stream. And, you know, for MASH, I mean, this, this is, this was a broadcast television. They probably had certainly limits to what sensors back then had a mm-hmm. lot more power than they do now. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm sure they probably looked at it as a certain amount of like, well, this is not, being done for laughs or even really for titillation it's actually in, in fact trying to show the horror of it and, and, and uh, it didn't show the actual person it was no. shooting out of it was just more the the, the ejection of the blood so. yeah speaking of sound effects when when bj gets hit with the blood there is a little sound yeah. and i always wonder like is that what is that what blood sounds like when it's shooting out of somebody <laughs> does it make really make that sound i've never been around anybody for or myself for that to happen so i don't know i it just it's, that's hmm. I, I have to a certain oh, degree, oh. maybe not that quite that much, but it's sort of like a squishing. I, I, okay, I, I don't know how to describe it. Like a like a a, a a squish is the word that pops my mind, but that's not exactly right either. 
Maybe maybe you'll have to have Dr. Ange follow up. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, Ange, Dr. Lewis, please let let us know if that if that uh, sound that little sound is uh, is uh, medically accurate. So then we cut to the chopper pad and poor Penobscot because he can't sit up, he can't bend is being carted off like he's wounded. <laughs> he's on one of the stretchers. Yeah. And everyone is saying goodbye to him and and uh you know Frank Burns shakes his hand, Radar shakes his hand. And he's, you know, enjoyed your wedding, sir. And Potter has a line and he says, well, do the best you can. <laughs> I got to tell you, when I was a kid, I didn't get that joke. I didn't get that it was specifically a sex joke. I always thought it was just Potter was just saying, well, your honeymoon's kind of ruined because you're yeah. not mobile. Yeah. But Potter in his folksy style is sort of yeah. saying to Panowska, well, you know, do the best you can. <laughs> I, and, 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 yeah, it's sort, it's sort of like I see, again, the fatherly in his way, Colonel Potter. Putting his hand on his shoulder, well, you know, just do the best you can. Just kind of that pep talk sort yeah. of thing. Potter has a way of saying upsetting things in such a folksy manner that right. it's okay. Right. But uh, yeah, for years when I was I, when I watched this episode as a little kid, I, I just that line just seemed more benign. And then I got a little older and went, oh, oh, okay, you know, <laughs> I know what he's talking about. Thanks, thanks, uh, thanks for sure. I appreciate it. So uh then they all stand there and watch Margaret leave. She throws the bouquet, which Frank catches, uh, which he's not supposed to. And then he chucks it and the nurse Kelly catches it. And then there's this nice little pause where she says goodbye to everybody. She hugs everyone. She hugs Radar. I mean, excuse me, doesn't hug Radar. She hugs Colonel Potter and she hugs Hawkeye and BJ. And then she even gives Frank a hug. Initially, and, and it's a um, it's a yeah. handshake. Yeah. But then it turns into a hug. And it's, you know. Like it's sweet. It's sweet in its own awkward, pathetic way. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of how Frank received it. I felt like too, kind of yeah. like that. Absolutely. Kind of. He knew again. He was knowing that the status quo was changing for him, and he was not comfortable at that point. Oh, absolutely. This had to be an incredibly painful thing to watch and have to do it in front of everybody. Yeah. So then Margaret gets in the chopper, the blades start going. And of course that's incredibly loud. Hawkeye and Beaches are having this conversation about one of us ought to tell her it's a joke. <laughs> and we see behind them, Klinger is hearing this conversation and looks confused. And again, I think that's a great little detail on Jamie Farr's part that he's like, yeah. what are they talking about? Yeah. And they start yelling. His leg is okay. Uh, the cast take it off. And she mishears that as, taking off and she does yeah. the rotor thing yeah with her hand and hawkeye and bj just start laughing that, yeah bye bye <laughs> yeah bye they wave kind of that up. bye thanks for everything and hawkeye yeah. even gives her the a-ok song yeah it's <laughs> <laughs> just a great fantastic bit uh so then the chopper takes off and as the sound recedes uh we hear bj and hawkeye continue to talk and uh you know they said oh boy i'm sure i'm sure i'm glad we told her and then they finally say, you know, look, we'll call her and we'll wire her in Tokyo. All right. And uh, BJ says, you think she'll get the cast off all by herself? And Hawkeye says, are you kidding? She'll rip it off with her bare hands. Bare hands. <laughs> probably completely accurate. <laughs> and that leaves Frank all by himself on the chopper pad. And he is standing there. He watches the chopper leave. And as I said in synopsis, he just says a very quiet and very dignified by Margaret. Yep. And that is the end of the act two. Now, in the syndicated version of this episode, that's where it ends. That's it. Mm -hmm. There is no, there is no button scene. Yeah. And now that I now, and then the button scene is of the four of them, Potter, 
burns Hawkeye and BJ back in the swamp where they're kind of feeling bad for Frank because they realize, you know, geez, he must be heartbroken. And they start kind of imagining what must be going on back in Tokyo. And of course they all start getting a little excited yeah. uh, about this, even the thought of, of what they're imagining. And they decide to all take a shower and a I got cold a, shower, a cold shower, a cold <laughs> shower, if you're very specific, a cold shower. I got to say the syndicated version is better. I agree. I totally I, agreed. I, yeah. I, I and and, and kind of like I had mentioned before about about saying goodbye to Frank, I liked that to be the last vision of Frank yes. versus this other one. I, yes. I totally agree with that. Yep. Totally. I for not until I got the DVDs as I've been saying since episode 1, mm-hmm. did I ever see this scene? And I'm like, "Oh, okay." I understand why they felt the need to do it, which I think gives credence to what you were talking about, that maybe they didn't know yeah, that, that right. Larry was planning on leaving, because this doesn't feel like a last scene you give your actor. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's fine, but it's silly. Yeah, and one of the principles for five years, too. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah, because it, it, it was, and, and that's sort of mash, the silliness, and they, you know, kind of go out on a joke or whatever. But it, but it, it did feel like if if they, and again, I may be totally wrong, if they had known that was his last episode. I, I felt like that would have been a better place to leave Frank. Yeah. His I, last his last picture of him on screen. Certainly, as you said, we hear more about Frank's story, and, and you you will discuss that in more in depth in first episode of season six. But but I would have liked that to be the last time we see Frank, where you sort of have that moment of a goodbye, Margaret, but it's goodbye, Frank, too. Uh, we're saying goodbye to the character in a way that maybe we're a little more sympathetic to him than we have been the whole time because he's been such a jackass and was written to be a jackass. Completely. Completely. I felt like, hey, the show is is getting rid of Frank with a little bit of, for the character, dignity and grace. And that yeah. wasn't, that was in short supply for this character in season yeah. five. It really did become, bring Frank into the scene, kind of dump on him and run him out. And I loved that they, and that I, for so many years, for like literally a couple of decades always thought that that was the last image of Frank Burns was him on the chopper pad by himself saying to no one in particular by Margaret. And it, you know, there's a handful, most of the time, in fact, 99% of the time, I prefer to see the full scenes because that right. was the show. That's that the, you know, the show. I don't, As it was show. originally aired. Yeah. Uh, but this is one of, I'd say two examples that I can think of where I kind of prefer the syndicated edit. I feel like yeah. it, it's more, and the other one was Abyssinia Henry, which of course you were on, you, you and where I talked it, about. It, it gets rid of that greatest hits reel right. at the end of the episode. And and it's like, it kind of softens the blow a little. And the syndicated right. one doesn't do that. The syndicated one kills Henry off and goes right to credits. Yep. You know, it's like, boom, here which you is go, more everybody. powerful. It's yeah, more powerful. You know, yeah. yeah. Enjoy that, everybody. Enjoy your yeah. summer. Yeah. Good you know? luck. We'll see you next season. Yeah, what have we exactly. got in store for you? You know, exactly. <laughs> So I always am just ever so slightly disappointed that that's not the end of Frank Burns and that we get this little silly scene. That said, it's a minor quibble. I, I like that they gave Frank that moment that they didn't make it a joke. They yep. didn't dump yep. him on nope, him again. I it's, agree. It's, he's genuinely heartbroken and the show in this instance feels sorry for him. Yep, exactly. You know, that was one of the things when Larry Linville left, supposedly he partly declined the to extend because he's like, well, where else can this character go? Yeah, it's sort of been proven the way it's been written. 
you, you, fair, the whole purpose of Frank was to be the butt of every joke. He can't evolve. That's part of his character. And I know Larry Gelbart, you know, obviously Larry Gelbart was not involved in this season, but they, they had done an interview later on where he's, he was saying that there's so much more to Larry Linville than what he got to show as Frank Burns. And, and Gelbart said, in retrospect, I regret not having developed the character further because he felt like he, he had really written him as a, uh, how do I want to say, one-dimensional character. Mm-hmm. And he had kind of written Frank Burns into a corner. There's no way he could be more complex because that was his point. He was yeah. a one-note character. That was his purpose. And so he didn't give Larry Linville as an actor a really a chance to grow with the character like we see so many of the other characters had the opportunity to do through the course of MASH as a whole. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's a big moment. Uh, we're saying goodbye to to Frank Burns. Uh, it's a great episode. I mean, it's very funny. Uh, as I said, I think the uh, Beast and Carol as Penobscot is terrific. It's a darn shame that he didn't come back yeah. as the character in the season six. And we'll talk about that when we get to it. But uh, overall, I think it's a, it's a great season for now. It's a big moment. You know, we've been talking about Margaret getting married for a whole season and now we're finally here. And uh, you know, it's, it's a great hook to uh, get people to come back for season six. Cause you're like, wow, we've really kind of changed the status quo. Now Margaret is this and Frank is this and who knows what's going to happen. So um, it's season five a masterpiece of a season and it's a great way to go out. Well, and, and, you know, that's one of the things I look at too. mash, you know, and like you said, I've been on several of these season enders now. And I, and I look at that and I just think what a great job mash did with their season finales, certainly oh, up yeah. to this point, because they, they all made them into transition points. So not only, and again, I know you'll talk about this, you know, season six, but they really took the opportunity next season to go a little bit different direction with the character. They didn't just bring in a replacement Frank Burns to be a butt of jokes. You know, they brought in Winchester who had a different, different bent to him that could offer more. So, so they, they took these transitions and they really made the most of them as well. Oh, they sure did. They absolutely did. And uh, you know, some other episodes, um, uh, some other season finales would be kind of big, but then they'd do other seasons where the, there really was no big deal made yeah. of the final uh, season finale. I'm always a little disappointed that I always feel like, eh, you should try and, you know, do some sort of summing yeah. up or something. Uh, and they didn't always do that. But during these years, yeah, wow, seasons yeah. three, four, and five, oh, they are swinging for yeah. the fences. And of course, they're always, these were, they were always kind of transition. They're, for certainly two of them were big transitions with characters, you know making their exit and so forth. But again, when the, like you said, it wasn't always that, but when the opportunity was there, they, they, they really took advantage of it. Absolutely. So, okay, Scott, do you have a favorite line or joke from this episode? Um, you know what? It's one that we didn't even mention. And I don't know why this just, just made me laugh because it was Colonel Potter where, where, um, radar is coming in. And so they have the wedding and he says, uh, Hawkeye, he says, make sure they wear their dress uniforms. And he says, well, Hawkeye says he will, but he's not going to wear pants. And and Potter says to Raider, well, tell him, no pants, no champagne. And then he turns to him and says, you got to know how to handle these guys. <laughs> and I just, that just was, I, it's, it's always sort of the, it's a funny line, but it's, it's Colonel Potter's leadership style too, which, which made me laugh just at kind of how he, how he was so frank about that. You know, just tell him no champ, no pants, no champagne. You got to know how to handle these guys. 
Can I tell you? That's exactly what I had written down here. Was it? It's that. It's the literal that <laughs> yeah. exact exchange. Because yeah, it is the way that Potter is trying such a a a low. He's he's having such a low bar for these guys, <laughs> right. that he's selling right. it to himself as he is like he's like he's Patton. You know, you gotta yeah. know how to handle these guys. Yeah. As you know, and like, it's and like, and he knows it. Like he knows it. Radar knows it. But it's kind of like almost a self mocking thing. But yeah, I absolutely. You gotta know how to handle these guys. You yeah. know, like, he's a and, he's a hard bitten commander. No pants, no champagne. Okay, right. You, yeah, and, 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 it, and it also tells you a lot. Like you said, he's got the low bar, but it also tells you about those guys. What is what what is or are the motivators for these guys? <laughs> it's yeah. got nothing to do with rank or certain privileges. It's it's just the whatever whatever we can do to kind of cut down their their uh, uh, how do I want to say their uh uniquities <laughs> that's a that's a great word I, I don't know if that's a real word but it's a great one but uh yeah that's just it's absolutely perfect yeah that's exactly what i had down as well so that's uh that is season five everybody and of course uh because this is the season uh the final episode of season of the season of mash that means this is the final episode of Mashcast for this season uh as i mentioned in a previous episode uh, because of my upcoming nuptials, which again, hopefully will not be interrupted by wounded, uh, arriving in any way. <laughs> uh, the mailbag episode will be done later on. Normally I do it two weeks after the season finale of Mashcast, but, uh, because of what's going on, uh, it's going to come much later in the year. So that means that with this episode, I am doing the official announcement uh, to do the open call for season six. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> right, thank you for the musical accompaniment. Uh, yes, uh, if you want to be on, I am. there was a big, big gap between seasons four and five. I didn't intend it to be that long, uh, but I'm, so I'm hoping that I can get jump right into season six a little sooner than I normally would. So if you want to be on uh, MASHcast in season six, please email the show at and this email address is in the show notes, firewaterpodcast at comcast.net. In the subject matter, please put MASHcast season six and list the three episodes that you would like to talk on. That way, I uh, when I select the episodes, I can try and give everybody at the very least one of their choices. So as I said, if you want to be on season six, please email the show by November 1st. You got a whole month, everybody. By November 1st, please email me at firewaterpodcast at comcast.net, mash cast season six in the subject line, and list your three preferred episodes. And I will do my best to get uh, people on, uh, you know, talking about one of their favorite shows. Now, I'm very, very lucky, very, very lucky that this show has way more guests than episodes. <laughs> Um, and I always feel bad about saying no to people because it's not, you know, anyone that likes the show enough to want to be on it. I'm very touched by that. And I never like to reject anybody. So what, and of course, every year I'm, we're adding more and more new guests. So the problem becomes greater and greater every season. Good problem I, to have. Good problem to have. But by season 11, it's going to be a real doozy. So what I might do <laughs> is, uh, maybe pair up some people, maybe do double guests on one episode just that way everybody can more people can be involved because like i said i hate i hate turning anybody down but um so yeah so that's the open call for season six everybody and and, and, uh, and i will add also just so you know that if you do not follow those criteria exactly you will be sent to the front lines so oh yeah you gotta make know how sure to handle those criteria guys. have to be handled correctly 
Yeah, 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 yeah. No pants. You'll be ejected from the tent, and you will be heading to the front lines. No pants, no podcast. No uh, pants, that's the, no podcast. That's the way it works. So, uh oh, uh oh, yeah. I didn't say that. I didn't, oh, oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, Scott, thank you once again, my friend, for for coming on the show. You know how much I enjoy talking to you. Um, this has been an even more kind of special episode for me in that. Uh, between the last time we recorded, we'll tell everybody between the last time we recorded together, uh, we've got to meet in person. Yes. Uh, we had a wonderful dinner in Philadelphia with uh, you and me and my uh, fiance, soon to be wife, Kelly. And that was an absolutely marvelous evening. And it was so great to meet you. And the podcasting community uh, is a great thing. And it has introduced a lot of wonderful people to my life that I never would have met. Otherwise, had I not been doing these shows and then getting to meet someone in person is just that much better. So, uh, again, thank you so much for your friendship and thank you so much for being such a great guest across all my different shows. You are a marvelous podcast guest. Oh, thank you so much. My, it's my pleasure. And I, I will, I will wrap up with, with my comments for today by saying jocularity, jocularity, <laughs> because this was the episode where Father Mulcahy, he said that at the end of the, the smoker as he jocularity, walked out of the tent. Jocularity, jocularity, jocularity. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't you tell people where they can find you out on the internet? You can find me uh, primarily on Twitter. At, um, my Twitter handle is at the mind of Scott X. Um, if you follow me, you will probably have your account spammed a lot of times on Saturday night as I watch and live tweet Sven Gulli, <laughs> which is a lot of fun. Occasionally, Rob will join in as well. Rob and Kelly will join in too, so it's a lot of fun. And occasionally, I'll post other stuff. I, I always say this, but I have plans um, to do a little bit more on Twitter, doing some posts with uh, comic books, TV shows, movies, some different things. As soon as I find the actual time to do what I would like to do amongst all my other busy schedule. You have quite the busy schedule. I, I know that know that for a fact. So absolutely. Well, again, thank you so much for taking time out to be my uh, once again, my my uh, my ringer for uh, <laughs> MASHCAST season. And I look forward to having you on for season six. I'd be looking forward to it. Thanks, Rob. All right. So, of course, everybody, you can find back episodes of the show on our website, finewaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show on any podcatcher of your choice. We're always talking MASH over on Twitter at MASH477Cast. Uh, and if you want to support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast. There you can unlock various rewards, one of which is to be named checked on a show of your choice. So one big final season-ending salute to Daniel Ulrich, Nicholas Prom, Russell Burbage, Stan Peel, Britt Schramm, Mike Thomas, Michael Porter, Joe Perino, Billy Shulman, Dennis Bailey, Kara Kay, Tim English, and Adam Ackerman for their support. I really Really appreciate it. And I love how long that list is of Mash Care supporters. Uh, it is just great. And then one last shout out is uh, over the course of season five, uh, I have discovered the crazy kids over on Tumblr at the Mash Blur. Uh, it's not a site. It's, it's, a, you know, a sort of little, little section of Tumblr that is devoted to Mash. And it's a bunch of, uh, younger MASH fans, and it has been really quite uh, an amazing experience to kind of see MASH through their eyes, and it's very, very touching to see a show that has been off the air for 30 years now. And uh, is 50 years old. And is now 50 too. years old, uh, has been embraced and rediscovered by a whole new generation of people who are enjoying it in their own way, and they love it in their own way, and it's been great. Uh, it's really been fun getting to, again, interact with them uh, about this show. And they've been wonderfully supportive of me and the show. And it's just been great. It's been one of the, again, one of the great discoveries of doing the show is getting to meet people uh, either in person or virtually that I would never get to before. And so I'm so thankful 
um, that, uh, that, that they are such a nice group over there. And thank you everybody for listening to MASHcast. You know, uh, when I started this show, I really thought, is anyone going to want to listen to this? But I didn't care. I did it anyway. And now it's become this thing and we're moving along into season six already. And, uh, for so many of you to listen so intently the way you do and leave comments and just to care about this show as much as you do, it means the world to me because I love this show. And, uh, just again, you know, last season in between seasons, you know, I got to talk to Mike Farrell and Jamie Farr. I mean, it's just unbelievable that I ever thought that would happen. That is not anything that. The young me could have, my brain could have processed <laughs> at nine years old that, you know, someday you're going to be friends with Mike Farrell. Like, get that. Yeah, I'm going to be on the moon too, right? <laughs> I mean, it makes no sense. And yet, and Aquaman's going to have a movie. And too, Aquaman's right? going to have a movie. I mean, none of it makes <laughs> any sense. But here we are. Here we are. And it's just been uh, an absolutely extraordinary set of circumstances. And I will mention one last thing. For our honeymoon, we are going to be in California, and I am really hoping that we will have a chance to hop over to Mill Valley. I want a photo of myself with the Mill Valley sign, and so I can maybe uh, find where the Honeycuts lived. I don't know. We'll, we'll I'll report back to everybody. <laughs> so anyway, that's going to wrap up season five. As I said, if you want to be involved in season six, email the show by November first and let me know, and we will try and get season six started uh, as soon as possible. So thank you, thanks everybody for listening. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll be back next season. But until then, that is all. Bye, Margaret.